Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. At the onset of the outbreak of the mysterious vaping-related lung illness, which first appeared last August, the CDC made two fateful decisions. First, officials from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control decided to ignore a large body of research showing e-cigarettes are a safer alternative to smoking. And second, the CDC decided to lie about the real cause of the deadly lung illness and implicate traditional nicotine vaping as a primary cause, all the while knowing the most probable culprit were tainted black market THC vaping products, a fact which took the CDC over three months to own up to. Joining us today, and here we go, one second, here we go. Joining us today to talk over the health impacts of vaping and all of the issues around this mysterious vaping-related lung disease is Dr. Ricardo Peloza. He's a practicing physician and world-renowned researcher. He's a professor of medicine, and he's the director of the Institute for Eternal and Emergency Medicine at the University of Catania in Italy. Dr. Peloza, thanks for joining us again on RegWatch. Thanks for having me, especially uh, here at dinner time. It's going to be a nice... Uh, uh, Nice interview. <laughs> well, and well, hopefully we won't keep you from your dinner for too long either as well. Dr. Pelosi, you've been on. I'm famished. I'm really famished. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then obviously we'll, uh, we'll try to be as quick as possible, though these are serious topics and you've got a lot yeah. to add. You are, you know, the world's foremost researcher in the area. And uh, in fact, actually, last August is the last time we spoke with you, and that was literally right as the lung scare news of it was breaking worldwide. Now, we're going to use that as the starting point for a conversation today, but I'd first like to jump back a couple of years to December 2017, when you first came on the show to discuss findings from the first-of-its-kind long-term study, which you conducted investigating the health impacts of vaping. And essentially, this was the issues uh, around lungs, right, in the respiratory system. It's a short Correct. two minute clip. Yeah, it's a short two minute clip and it provides uh, a better introduction. Uh, well, the best introduction that I could write, I would have ended up just rewriting it. So I might as well just show it to everybody. It's about two Thank minutes. Thank you. It, 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 here it is. Weak arguments, cherry picked data, sneaky rhetorical moves and unfair representations. Public health propagandists swoon over science, yet respond purposefully obtuse when presented with scientific evidence supporting vaping as a safer alternative to smoking. Progressives stubbornly insist the science on vaping isn't settled, yet a growing number of expert researchers say that when it comes to the health benefits of vaping, the case is closed. One of those scientists is Dr. Ricardo Peloza, director of the Institute for Internal and Emergency Medicine at the University of Catania in Italy. Weak arguments, cherry-picked data, sneaky rhetorical moves, and unfair representations. Public health propagandists swoon over science, yet respond purposefully obtuse when presented with scientific evidence supporting vaping as a safer alternative to smoking. Progressives stubbornly insist the science on vaping isn't settled, yet a growing number of expert researchers say that when it comes to the health benefits of vaping, the case is closed. One of those scientists is Dr. Ricardo Peloza, director of the Institute for Internal and Emergency Medicine at the University of Catania in Italy. He's the author of more than 280 peer-reviewed articles, many of which present results from his groundbreaking research on e-cigarettes. 
Dr. Peloza is an expert in lung disease and over numerous studies, his research provides clinical evidence supporting the health benefits of vaping, not only to reduce harm, but in some cases even reverse the harm caused by smoking. Dr. Peloza was the lead scientist on the first clinical trial to conclude e-cigarettes are an effective tool for smoking cessation, and his latest study is the first ever to monitor vaping risk factors and health outcomes over an extended period of time. Published November 2017 in the journal Nature, the study is the exact type of longitudinal observational research vaping critics have been calling for. Dr. Peloza and his team followed nine adult e-cigarette users that vape daily and who have never smoked over a period of three and a half years. The team measured and tracked blood pressure, heart rate and body weight, lung function, lung inflammation and respiratory symptoms, nitric oxide and carbon monoxide levels in exhaled breath were measured, and high-resolution computer scans of the lungs were reviewed. After comparing results with a carefully matched control group, the study found no significant changes in any of the health outcomes investigated. So there you go. That is our introduction to Dr. Peloza. Yeah, a good reminder of what uh, we we are doing and what we should be doing as scientists. Why don't we start there? Uh, discuss a little bit about this research that you did in 2017. Well, the, the research actually spanned from 2013 up to 2016 and then was published uh, a year later or so. Uh, the idea actually came from from our patients. Uh, they were happy with the results of, of their switching, but at the same time, we were, they were kind of concerned of potential uh, long-term effects that the continuous daily use of these products could have caused to their lungs primarily. Um, to me, at that time, there was uh, a kind of a very interesting question. I knew already that it was difficult to answer because, to me, the most obvious answer to such question was to um, to emphasize that their um, you know state uh, of health was improving, the quality of life was improving, uh, a lot of. Uh, of uh, uh, respiratory outcomes were improving as well. And that is the best explanation you can give to a patient. However, as a scientist, I was curious to try and understand whether it was, uh, um, there was some effect in terms of absolute risk or absolute damage to the uh, respiratory system when, uh, um, you know, when people are just vaping. Uh, that was creating uh, an enormous hurdle, namely that most of the uh, vapors that I met in the clinic were basically people that were switching, that had switched in, in, in recent time or in, in, in previously. And, uh, of course, this that was causing uh, um, a problem, scientifically speaking, and the problem is that the, the background is that of the previous years of smoking history. So uh, we just needed a clean model, and the clean model was uh, uh, illustrated by the, the vapor who has never smoked in his life. So uh, a kind of uh, 
uh, a purist model of to investigate absolute risk. Uh, at that time, it was not very easy to find the vapors who never smoked uh, in their lives, but with the help of uh, eight vape sh local vape shops, we were able to, uh, I think, uh, recruit some 12 people uh, after screening 20. So 12 agreed to participate. And of course, the, the, the study can be criticized for the small sample size. However, after three to uh, four years of uh, continuous clinical follow-up, not, not even one single uh, vapor showed evidence of, uh, of uh, damage or, alter or significant alteration in their spirometry or high-resolution CT scans, suggesting to me that um, this was um, a, a very important study that needed to be replicated in larger number and for a prolonged period of time. And that's exactly what we're trying to do right now. So let me ask you this. What can be said equivocally about the impact of vaping nicotine on the lungs? Uh, I, there is no evidence that nicotine is causing any form of damage in human lungs uh, when assumed and consumed in the, um, in the dose that a smoker normally consumed. Um, we all know that the damage caused by smoking-related disease to the lung level is caused by the combustion products, all the toxins that they are generated by combustion. Uh, there's, to me, it's, it's extremely dangerous to conflate damage, damage of, of the lung to, to nicotine inhalation because this is a completely different ballpark. Um, I mean, uh, our studies basically proving that by inhaling nicotine over a prolonged period of time is not causing any uh, appreciable damage that you can measure with uh, today's technology. So, uh, uh, Dr. Peloza, looking at that and, and adding the PG and VG to it, so putting the together into a traditional nicotine vaping product that contains nicotine that is regulated, bought legally. What can we say mm -hmm. equivocally about its impact on the lung? <laughs> that there's no impact as far as I'm aware. Uh, and uh, clearly, uh, to be 100% sure, you will really need longer and larger studies. However, when it comes to, um, not saying the word promoting, but the, in advising to uh, people, to smokers, and to uh, smokers with pre-existing lung disease, uh, the vaping products, uh, I mean, all I can say and all I can see is that uh, there is a remarkable reversal of uh, uh, some of the typical uh, respiratory endpoints that we measure. Uh, and particularly quality of life is massively improved. Um, when you say reversal, uh, what do you mean by that? It, because what we've heard over the last four months to a deafening degree is that vaping kills. <laughs> Traditional vaping 
is as deadly or deadlier than smoking. That's the message well, the public has been getting over the last four months. Uh, it kills what it's in the vape. Uh, and even the vape, there is a substance that can subvert the epithelial lining and the surfactant that keeps your uh, lungs open clearly is going to kill you. Uh, but this does not uh, relate to vaping products that they are commercially available uh, worldwide. I mean, we've never seen a single case of uh, uh, the so-called Evali, this vaping-related illness, in, in Europe. And this is for a simple reason, that the culprit that has been identified eventually by CDC is uh, a substance that shouldn't be uh, in the uh, vapor products, in, the, in this liquid in the first place, because uh, uh, in the specific case of uh, vitamin E tocopherol, uh, this uh, substance can, in a way, uh, alter the equilibrium of the surfactant. And if you do alter the equilibrium of this surfactant, which is um, a tensioactive substance that keeps the alveoli uh, the way they are. And if you can deprive this uh, alveoli of this lining, which is very delicate, what happens is basically you have an immediate collapse of the alveoli, thus uh, preventing the individual from, from exchanging gas, oxygen, and therefore leaving. Well, fair enough. So, uh, again, it, it's you have to be precise. Public health needs to be precise with what they're talking about. Do you? So let's walk back to August uh, of last year. When we first talked that week, that's when it, when it all broke. You had a, a very strong opinion about how the media was covering this issue. I mean, I, I don't know about you, uh, Dr. Ploza, but it was astonishing how much farther they went after four months than even just at the beginning. Yeah, but even so, the position uh, were already been, had already been taken, both by the media and by some of the U.S. self-authorities, even before trying to understand the phenomena. And eventually, you see what happened. We have... Uh, uh, we have backdated the, the, the clock of tobacco reduction by a couple of years at least, just because some reckless uh, uh, businessman has been trying to use the wrong ingredient in a THC cartomizer. Um, the media place is business, which is to sell information, to sell newspapers, to shock people and lay public. Uh, so I'm not surprised by that. What surprised me is the um, the uh, unscientific attitude of some of the U.S. Uh, authorities in handling this very um, this very important uh, and, and dangerous situation. If you have a batch of vaccines that is causing trouble, you don't ban all the vaccines. You just go deep down and trying to identify the, what's the culprit of, of, 
uh, of the problem. Uh, and that's what actually CDC does all the time with many of the infectious diseases. However, in the case of these um, vaping-related illnesses in the U.S., this outbreak that happened over the summer, uh, I don't think CDC has been followed this playbook. It followed different playbook. It certainly did. Uh, one that I, I, I dare to say it knows pretty well when you look back at some of the other um, very charged political things that the CDC has dealt with, it, it's got its political playbook as well um, that goes beside its research playbook. And I think sometimes the political playbook um, outweighs uh, the research one. For instance, I found it quite strange that they brought their Ebola response team uh, to bear on this. So, I mean, if you're bringing your Ebola response team to bear on, on this investigation, you're going to find Ebola, right? And, and instead, this was not a, uh, there was nothing contagious about this at all, except for maybe what was happening between CNN and MSNBC and Washington Post and so forth and so on. Let's try to be honest. Uh, this is the first time you do have uh, this type of poisoning of the lungs. So uh, I'm not trying to justify CDC for what they did, but uh, there is at least uh, uh, the possibility that they were not prepared to deal with this kind of emergency. However, uh, if this can be a justification for their action at the beginning of the outbreak, I could see you know, the stubbornness in insisting that this was going to be uh, some something that it, it really wasn't. Uh, and, for example, when they eventually released the information that the real cause for the outbreak was the vitamin E tocopherol contained in some THC cartomizers, that was released just on the Friday prior the the, the, the Christmas break. So nobody was going to have that important piece of information. And this kind of behavior is being uh, very common throughout the all outbreak. So uh, I'm very sorry. I don't think uh, the U.S. authority, the leading U.S. authority have been playing in the interest of the U.S. citizen, um, U.S. citizenship health. So you do agree then that CDC at the best dragged their feet uh, to clear up the misinformation with the public? You can say so. I asked the same question to Dr. Michael Siegel back in uh, early October. Do you think that the CDC's foot dragging on this issue um, led to more, well, certainly more people got sick than they should have. Do you think it could have even led to people dying? That's very difficult to say. Um, I mean, uh, CDC was, uh, was trying to maximize the, the scare. So I, I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, people would be warned anyway. However, I really think that you need to be very specific, particularly with young people, uh, people they, young people, do, they don't just think they're, they're going to feel sick because they vape or smoke. So you, you would have really needed a more targeted 
kind of uh, information to uh, to specific population, in particular in specific states where the outbreak was particularly uh, significant. Right. So, based on what we know uh, from your research, and and certainly too, you know, it seems a seems to be all the great research comes from Europe and the UK um, mm -hmm. on this matter. And um, so, well, uh, the, the, there is also some good uh, uh, U.S. centric research being uh, being published. That's for sure. And I want to make sure that we're clear. You know, from RegWatch's point of view, good doesn't necessarily mean positive towards vaping. Uh, no, no, no. For me, good is technically, scientifically valid. Yeah, that, that, and allow me to add one other key factor, which makes uh, a piece of research in, in our mind uh, good, for the lack of a better term. The research, the scientific portions could be sound, and you would know better about that than I would, but there's been many times when I've been told by researchers, this particular bit of research is sound science, but by the time it's gone processed through the politics of the university and then through the university's press release machine, and then the press release goes out, I mean, the press release contains none of the footnotes or caveats or anything like that that the researchers have had, and, and something that could be you know equivocal becomes unequivocal by the time it hits CBS. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right. In in the last five years, I spent uh, quite a lot of time reviewing uh, most of these uh, papers you're talking about, and there are very common mistakes. Uh, you know, in the form of the generation of aerosol. Uh, Methodologically, these papers are very poor, in, in my opinion. The solution to the problem is that we need to have all these researchers sitting around the same table and trying to sketch a white paper where, where all these uh, very basic mistakes are cleared and where there is a, a very clear path to good quality research. Once you have this white paper, published and digested by the scientific community, most of these uh, common mistakes that we see in these papers will basically be story history. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dr. Ploza, for all of those members of the public out there that have been inundated with all of this information in the mainstream media that's implicated traditional nicotine vaping products with lung disease, what could your message be to them? Don't worry about it. This is uh, clearly not related to nicotine vaping. The only thing that nicotine vaping can cause is in few instances, you know, some you know, when you, when you start trialing with new products, you can have some overdosing, so some dizziness or some accelerated heart beating that's the worst that can happen but uh, in in terms of acute disease nothing nothing can nothing has been ever reported and tens of millions of people have been using these products for more than 10 years and you know just just this information alone is uh, to me uh, enough 
to justify the harmfulness of, of these products. Should public health and the media even been more skeptical when the mysterious outbreak, you know, happened upon everyone? Should, should they not have gone, well, where else are vaping products being used legally and have they had problems there, i.e. Europe? 40 million people have vaped over the last 10 years and we've seen nothing like this illness before. Yeah, I think we had this, this com conversation before in, in August uh, 2019 uh, at the very beginning of the outbreak. And, and that was my, and I can confirm my, uh, my, you know, thinking that it was very strange that all of the sudden young people were suddenly feeling so ill to be hospitalized in, uh, in ICU. This is something that has never been uh, reported before and clearly needed, needed investigation. And, uh, and from few sources, it was very clear from the outset that there was not related to the, 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 the commercial nicotine vaping that is uh, available uh, all over the world and everywhere. So, I mean, what else can I say about this? I think um, we just need now to understand better about the mechanism of vitamin E tocopherol induced lung disease, because this will, uh, will uh, improve our knowledge in avoiding similar situation in the future. How did and, uh, uh, Sorry, please continue. And, you know, in, in standard toxicological tests, vitamin E tocopherol is not, as, is not really um, problematic at the normal doses. Uh, however, it can still disrupt the surfactant. So we really need different models to, uh, to investigate the possibility of uh, uh, acute distress syndromes like the one we saw in, uh, in the Evali outbreak. Well, let me ask you this, um, just kind of two last questions specifically on this issue, and then I'll, let's jump into some other research. But in Europe, how did uh, this outbreak affect the market there. So it's a two-part question. You know, what happened there? Did did you see vapors return to smoking? Was the you know was the market hit? And that's question one. Question two is what happened with the researchers? Did you did you all feel attacked? Was there a deflation uh, that happened? So those are the last two questions specifically. Okay, according to my sources, there's been. Uh, um, a significant impact on on the vaping market. People got scared, obviously, and nobody was explaining exactly what it was happening. And as you know, there's an hegemony of some type of health information, and you cannot just stop that. Um, <laughs> it was curious to see a lot of attempts to find uh, uh, similar cases in Europe. It was really, I, I was, I was su not surprised, but I was just smiling at the uh, desperate attempts to find a, a valley 
cases in the, in the UK or in Germany or in France or even in Italy. Uh, just try to um, to to um, to have a, a global uh, scare right. uh, to create a global scare. Uh, that in fact it wasn't even there. I think the only case of a valley ever recorded in Europe was actually uh, a U.S. citizen who was flying over to. Um, I, th I think was in the U.K., but I may be wrong on that. So basically, again, somebody that was coming from the U.S. where the outbreak originated. But uh, don't get me wrong, this is not infectious. That's, well, that's not. what I'm trying to say. And, and let, me just, <laughs> let me just point out, Dr. Peloza, that, that you've fallen for CDC's trap here. That's by using the term evali like it's an actual medical diagnosis of, or like it's a bacteria uh, or a uh, virus. And then, and I I apologize. <laughs> I, I just use the valley because it's it's a term that we all understand these days. But you're one hundred percent spot on. This is not a new disease. Uh, maybe is the cause for something that we've been seeing in in under other exposure under conditions. But it's not a, a new disease in itself. No, no. What about, so okay. last on that then was, was with the researchers there. So your group, you know, there's that great group of researchers that you've got over there on your side of the pond. Was there, I mean, because Bloomberg had issued a you know, 4,000 word attack uh, on the scientists that have the fundamental science that underpins vaping, like what you were saying, they were going out looking for E-Valley uh, from like in the years past that may have been missed and the whole the whole thing there was is that woo we missed it regulators missed it this is not new and um they dragged rcps royal college of physicians uh public health england you were mentioned in that article dr siegel was a whole bunch of people were and and basically that process of, of undermining the science so how much did you guys feel under attack potentially deflating some of your energy and efforts and the heat of the moment is understandable that you go and retrospectively try to uh, to identify something that we might have missed. So that's understandable. However, what was not uh, uh, understandable is to try to conflate uh, other adverse events as they were a valley. Uh, and that was not the case. I never felt really... Uh, threatened. I, I still keep my integrity when it comes to these events. I was very curious to see how I was panning out. Uh, I was very feeling very sorry for all these young people that were dying for uh, somebody's stupidity. And, uh, and as a scientist and as a chair of a technical committee for the quality of, uh, for the standards of quality and safety of vapor products, I felt an immense uh, responsibility in trying to address any possible alteration or alteration of uh, uh, these vapor products that could cause similar uh, tragedies. But to your question, but to your question, really, we've been uh, questioning ourselves whether we we were. Uh, making mistakes, uh, or whether we've been uh, discounting 
uh, uh, let me say, symptoms, diseases, or signs too early. But quite frankly, uh, the direct contact we have every day with people who vape and who also have uh, lung diseases or cardiovascular diseases, to us, is so super reassuring. Nothing happened to them. Uh, their quality of life even improved. And even the objective measure of, uh, of their uh, clinical endpoints is, uh, is, is still improving. So, uh, so there's a to term. me, this is, a, this is a, for, to me, as a clinician and as a researcher, it's a very strong argument. A, a very strong argument for what? For, for the benefit of uh, uh, vaping products. So there's benefit of vaping products as opposed to them being deadly. Come on. Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> you insist on this deadly thing. This is a completely different ballpark. Uh, th there is a problem when we talk about risk and benefits that, uh, to me, the uh, lens in the United States is simply on the risks. And very little is being doing research-wise to understand the benefits. This creates a, a fundamental problem, which is how can we uh, correctly assess the risk-benefit ratio if the denominator, namely the benefit, is kept zero? Any small risk will be always overinflating the, the risk-benefit ratio for obvious reasons, because the denominator is zero, everything's going to be one. So, and that, so that's really where the that's really where the conflating of the harm happens right there in the research. I think so. This is not this is a very unbalanced approach to science. Uh, I mean, try for a second to imagine if you would do the same with drugs development. If any drugs coming into the market will be scrutinized only for the adverse events, there'll be no drugs on the market. Because, as you know, drugs will have plenty of adverse events. And one of the reasons why they're on the market is because the risk-benefit ratio is in favor of the benefit. But that is because risk and benefit have been studied thoroughly uh, uh, in, in, by, by the scientists. So that, I mean, and that makes just so much sense. Um, and I think it goes to define what is good research versus bad to the extent that good research, research is research that might start with the hypothesis that there could be a benefit of aping and then begins to test that, right? So regardless of what the results are, it's, it's, it's proceeding with benefit as being an actual valid response. <laughs> as a valid thing with, with the uh, with the research, uh, I I do like that, and I think the problem is is that if you are taking money from cancer, are they going to allow you to even possibly you know conduct an experiment that might look to uncover benefit? I mean, it's the same thing with science change. Not to get political here, but this scientifically, this is correct, right? When you, when you're going to get research done, you know, funded by the government. You aren't going to disprove climate change. If you do, that you're not getting funding. 
So the baseline zero, for instance, is that climate change is real. Now you study everything else after that. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I, I see the problem, and that's uh, unfortunately a problem that our U.S. colleagues have with the research. Unfortunately, uh, in the U.S., you really need to find the money to sustain your wages. So you have to go after grant after grant, uh, and your life is always revolving around the possibility of getting funded. And if the um, the possibility of increasing the grant, um, you know, getting a grant is attached to the fact that you have to amplify the risk, you amplify the risk, simple as that. So it's uh, unfortunately understandable that the way many of our American colleagues operate, because this is the space they have to, this is, you know, this is the space, this is the rules, and this is a matter of survival for them. In Europe, uh, fortunately, uh, we don't have to, uh, yeah, we look for grants, but mainly uh, and not support our own uh, salaries, but mainly uh, it's a, because of prestige most of the time, you want to increase your curriculum vitae, you, you, you can advance in your career, but basically your salary is, is not based on funding. The university pays your salary. So you don't have this sort of vicious circle or conflict of interest with uh, the research you're conducting. It's true, and and let me just let me just point out that that vicious circle is generally provided by the government because they are the largest funder. So, you know, so let's just leave it at that because there's definitely another story to have there. Let's jump over to this, Dr. Peloza. This uh, was released on December 16th, last year, 2019. E-cigarettes significantly raise, uh, raise risk of chronic lung disease. First long-term study finds. I'll just let me read a little bit of this. E-cigarette use significantly increases a person's risk of developing chronic lung diseases like asthma, bronchitis, emphysema, or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, hit, hit, hit us. Bring it on. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, I, I really think. Uh, I mean, let, let's start with the uh, with the, um, the the science. Uh, I mean, let, let's start. Let's start with the plausibility of this statement. Is it possible that uh, the vaping product, uh, a, a product that uh, uh, is characterized by having emissions containing much less harmful uh, toxicants compared to tobacco smoke uh, will create the condition for a disease like COPD, which actually requires decades of continuous exposure to tobacco smoke. Where is the, the biological possibility of that? Uh, and that's for me, it's number one. Then if you deep dive in the, in, in the work of these authors, you will realize that they are uh, mislabeling of, uh, of the COPD diagnosis. Uh, it, it is not possible in such young population, you find so many 
diagnosis of COPD because COPD is not an, uh, a disease of young adults, is mostly uh, a, a disease which is characteristics in the late 50s, 60s and 70s and, and so on. So it takes a while to develop COPD and uh, I'm not discounting the fact that if you rape will you will develop COPD. You may develop COPD when you are 120, but you'll be dead uh, and your life will be, uh, you know, you, you'll be dying because of other causes, you know, diabetes, for example, which will cause cardiovascular disease and is on the increase. So you're saying then that just even on, uh, for COPD alone, it's just impossible uh, for vaping to be causing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would suggest to be more creative. Is va if vaping is going to cause some disease, it's going to be something very different. I, I don't think it's going to replicate exactly the same diseases that we see in 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 people who smoke tobacco combustibles, uh, because the nature of the chemicals are very much different. I'm not saying electronic cigarettes are risk-free. Uh, they do have chemicals, uh, but they do not have 7,000 chemicals that can interact in each other, causing lung cancer, uh, COPD, and cardiovascular disease in general. Uh, I really think that an experiment like the one that we have in mind to track for many years people who vape regularly, daily, and never had uh, to smoke in their life, uh, this can clarify this sort of, of issue. Obviously, you will need uh, uh, very sensitive uh, uh, endpoints to try and to track very early the initial changes in the lung. And for that reason, I think high resolution CT scan is, is one of, of the best tools we have uh, to explore that particular research qu question. Okay, so let me, um, let me give you a quote here from, I don't know if, if Dr. Stan Glantz here is the lead author on this, but he's definitely one of the authors on this research. And this is the quote that was provided, and this is actually from the university, so I would imagine that this is just straight-up press release. Quote, what we found is that for e-cigarette users, the odds of developing lung disease increased by about a third, even after controlling for their tobacco use and their clinical and demographic information. Close quote. Said senior author Stanton Glantz, PhD, a UCSF professor of medicine and director of the UCSF Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. So hmm. he's saying that lung disease increases by about a third. Okay, if that was the case, we would have seen uh, a COPD epidemic in the UK, but that was not the case. You know, no, uh, Dr. Glantz, uh, when he was on our show three years ago, he leaned back and said, you know, they're conducting a great big experiment in the UK with, uh, with vaping. And, you know, and the results will, you know, will be revealed when they do. And I couldn't, I mean, I was struck by the, by, <clears throat> well, he's obviously pretty uh, tenacious, um, irascible. But, but we are tenacious. We are tenacious too. Well, that's good. Yeah. His belief, though, is that, is that there will be massive lung disease. 
And so I think the this mysterious outbreak for many who are like-minded with Dr. Glantz, um, it, you know, they've been they've been searching for a pretext for one to fulfill this this you know idea in their mind that that vaping is is very deadly. Okay, once again, I'll take the example of the UK because the prevalence of vaping is very high. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, in the registry of COPD, there's no uh, no known unexpected increase of COPD over the last five years, which is exactly the time that vaping became more uh, popular. Of course, to have an impact on on COPD, uh, you you will really need to convert more than 6% of the smoking population. So I do agree with uh, Public Health England that that, uh, vaping should be promoted in in order to not only prevent the development of smoking-related disease, which is, is, is the obvious goal, but also to try to minimize the complications from the, the, the smoking related, existing smoking-related disease. I think uh, uh, in a few years we'll have uh, more information about hosp- the redu- reduction of hospitalization due to complication of respiratory disease caused by uh, tobacco smoking and uh, probably because by switching to vaping products, all you're going to obtain is basically, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of quitting. Uh, basically, you stop uh, polluting your lungs with, uh, with the toxic combustible substances that they are generated by combustion. So, and, of co- and of course, you, you cannot reverse the more advanced stage respiratory diseases, but uh, you can improve the quality of health, uh, the quality of life, and you can reduce the number of yearly hospitalization because of uh, complication, uh, usually are infectious complications by virus or by bacteria due to, to vaping. And this brings to another point, there's been quite a lot of research uh, trying to um, to uh, criminalize vaping because of the negative impact on on immunity. Uh, we don't really see that happening. And in fact, uh, propylene glycol is an antibacterial, has a bacteriostatic activities and uh, can kill bacteria and probably has also some effect on viruses as well, which is one of the primary causes of exacerbation in respiratory diseases. So we're going to be wrapping up here. So we're getting close to getting you for, to your dinner. Um, let me ask you this. And there was this line that I had in our piece from 2017, which did run through actually uh, in our little clip, but most people might not have picked it up. And that was, you were one of the authors on the very first piece of research that uh, made the statement that e-cigarettes were an effective smoking cessation tool. Is that not correct? Yeah, I I think that was uh, the idea. As you know, I I run a very busy smoking cessation clinic, and uh, we are very happy with the results that we we get from traditional uh, with 
with the traditional approach. But one of the reasons of our success is because the people that come to the clinic are highly motivated. They make their bookings, they park their cars. Um, you know, they, they are interested in taking uh, medication for nicotine addiction. So this obviously plays a, a big role in the success rates that we register at our smoking cessation, anti-smoking cessation center. Uh, but one of the problems that we have is that uh, um, even, even if we work uh, like hell, the number of people that we can assist on a yearly basis is always in the range of 500 or 600. And that's obviously is not enough. You're not going to have any uh, serious impact in terms of public health if you work on, on such minuscule numbers. Uh, that's when I started taking an interest on on substitu sub substitution tools for, for smoking. So when you have an alternative which is uh, much less harmful than tobacco cigarettes and there's no other option for smokers but to smoke or to die, well, there you have it. You have a, a, a third uh, alternative which is switching. And switching, in, in, in our experience, has been the most phenomenal tool uh, to uh, convert uh, tobacco smokers uh, out of smoking. So uh, vaping is classically, for us, a gateway out of smoking. That's amazing news. And, you know, quite often the uh, refrain is, well, it'd be great if we know that it helps people quit smoking, but the research and science isn't already done yet. We heard that from uh, the representative, representative of the Parents Against Vaping, even in uh, the White House, in their meeting with uh, President Trump. That was mentioned over and over and over again. Well, if, if that research was in, so let me just put this plainly to you, is, is the research in on whether or not uh, vaping helps people quit smoking? Of course, there is uh, some. There are different levels of research. Uh, there is randomized control trials, population studies, observational studies, and so forth. To me, the strongest evidence comes from population studies uh, in in the UK, where you can clearly show that uh, um, in parallel with the uptake of vaping in that country, you will see an accelerated decline in, in, in smoking prevalence. Uh, if I have to cite a randomized controlled trial, obviously uh, I will think of uh, the recent Peter Ajax study, which was published in February 2019, last year. Uh, and that study um, oh proves that uh, by using electronic cigarettes, you can obtain better success rates compared to nicotine replacement therapy. Um, I mean, no, and, and then there's... And that's, a, that, that's the news that we're looking for, right? Like, that is real exactly. research. Yeah, and the, the level of, uh, of improvement in, in uh, efficacy in terms of, uh, of quit rate uh, by using electronic cigarettes doubles up uh, that of, uh, of uh, nicotine replacement therapy. Well, that's good to know. I mean, so many of our viewers certainly believe that vaping is a very good tool uh, to quit smoking. 
and uh, hopefully the products will be around. Now that's our battle that we're fighting. Your battle, uh, Dr. Peloza, what's your research uh, looking like for the next year or two? Fill us in on that and please do let us know how anybody can get involved because we do actually have uh, a significant number of viewers that are in Europe, so. Um, I think in principle, what we're trying to do is to test ourselves. We are trying to, to criticize what we've done so far, and we're trying to improve the, um, the design of the studies that we've completed in the past. Um, I, I think the main line of research is aiming to prove the uh, harm reversal principle and the beneficial effects of these products when you completely uh, or substantially uh, abstain from tobacco combustibles. Um, as you know, that there's quite a lot of research being we've been carried out in. Uh, in respiratory patients as well in cardiovascular patients and their results have been fairly consistent. Now we want to switch gear and to escalate to a larger group of, uh, of patients and, uh, and, and by involving also different clinical sites. So these studies needs to be uh, multi-center, randomized and, and controlled uh, with the inclusion of, uh, of a very, very large number of participants. Uh, I really hope that uh, by showing this, uh, re this research, we will be able to convince some of these uh, researchers, they are still on the fence, trying to decide whether the vaping products are good or bad for smokers. Clearly, we'll never be able to convince the, um, let's call it the orthodox uh, uh, tobacco controllers, because that's what they, they, they have their agenda, as we said before, so it'll be extremely difficult to convince them. But uh, as I said before, to me, the, the, the strongest uh, evidence is what we see from, from our patients and what we read from the uh, numerous forum and blogs of people uh, just uh, uh, declaring their, their improved quality of life uh, and, and the massive change that these products brought to their life. Um, I, I can tell you millions of stories of uh, smokers hugging me, showing their uh, happiness of being uh, successful uh, with quitting. They just said, I, I never thought it was going to be possible. This little stupid device helped me a lot. Uh, what really happens uh, in my mind is that uh, it's a, a bit like a dummy. Uh, more than a smoking cessation device, the vaping products are excellent uh, relapse prevention tools. So basically, uh, you do have the possibility of avoiding relapse by having uh, the, the nicotine fix at hand and the ritualistic aspect of the smoking uh, with you at all times. But without smoking. I love that. It's the 
excuse me, as I'm partaking right now at the exact moment, so I might as well show everybody. Um, <laughs> might as well. But that is, uh, you know, your nicotine right at hand. I'm a big fan of nicotine. Uh, you know, I, di I, I differ than a lot of people, uh, you know, on the user side, because I also believe that there's nothing wrong with somebody picking up a mild uh, recreational nicotine habit, even if they never smoked before. This is a free world and more power to you is uh, my position. Dr. Peloza, thank you so much for joining us today on RegWatch. Thank you very much. Thank you um, for having me again and again. <laughs> well, we'll try to let's try to make sure that it's on some good news research that you're releasing next time, as opposed to all the bad news stuff. And I'm and now I'm off to my dinner. Sounds great. Thanks. Just hang right there one second. Well, that's it for this edition of Reg Watch. Now we didn't uh, go off to our support website today, so please do go to support.regulatorwatch.com. Dig into that wallet, find a few dollars, kick them over to us. You shall be very happy you did that. So shall we, and we'll keep making great content. So again, that's support.regulatorwatch.com. And while online, make sure you like us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.